your copy of scriptures, <clears throat> turn if you would to Psalm 42. Begin the series in the Psalms, summer Psalms. Well, I put summer, spring, and summer because I still yet do not know my seasons. Uh, I grew up in a place where they didn't have them, so I'm an ignorant uh, regarding those things. Psalm 42. Uh, before we go hear from the Lord and hear His word preached, let's ask His blessing upon. Those very things. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come again before you. We thank you for this, your word. We confess again that it is perfect. We acknowledge it's complete. Uh, Lord, it is as you have intended to preserve and hand it down and scripturate it for us, uh, your people, Lord. You have revealed yourself to us. You've shown us all that we would need to know for life and godliness. And we ask, dear Lord, that you would help us to believe it, to base our lives upon it. Lord God, to find comfort as we hear it, even as you challenge and refresh us uh, and lead us and change us by it. Lord, we pray that the instrument of your word this morning now and the meditations of all of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, our dear Heavenly Father. It's in Christ's name we pray all these things. God's people said, Amen. Amen. We read Psalms uh, 42 and 43. Please give your attention now. This is the word of our God. To the choir master, uh, Maskil of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I poured out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Why are you downcast on my soul? And why are you in tumult, tumult within me? Hoping God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is downcast within me, therefore I will remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of the waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day the Lord commanded his steadfast love, and at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Because of the oppression of the enemy, as with a deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me. Well, they say to me all the day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in tumult within me, turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of the Lord my God to my God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. O God, my God, why are you downcast? Why are you cast down, O my soul? 
and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So for the reading of God's word, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but this word of the Lord endures indeed forever. Well, returning to the Psalms this morning, Another name for the Psalms, the book of Psalms, is the Psalter, as you all surely know. Uh, the whole Psalter is 150 Psalms, uh, but it's actually divided into five books, if you recall, uh, in our scriptures. Five sections, five books. Um, a number of years ago, we went through the first book of the Psalter, Psalms uh, 1 to 41. And that first book ends with the glorious doxology. This is indeed how each of the books uh, close, right? Each of the five books. Uh, Psalm 41, the last verse says, Blessed be the Lord God, God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen. And amen. <laughs> Glorious doxology. Indeed. And so now we pick up in book two, right, which are uh, Psalms 42 to 72. Right? Again, the summer Psalms. Um, I don't know how far we'll get uh, this summer, but <clears throat> we'll be working through them uh, as the season goes on. Um, and if we pay attention to the Psalms and these books, there are some cool things that we see uh, in those scenes between the books. And then the themes of the different of the five books and the movement of the Psalter uh, in general as it progresses. And we'll point this out as we go uh, more and more. But I wanted to point out a few things uh, this morning as we dive back into the Psalms into book two at Psalm 42. And one of the differences that we see between uh, the first book and the second book uh, is this. In book 1, Psalms 1 to 41, David alone is the indicated author. He's the one that's identified as the author, David. There's a few psalms there that are uh, have no inscription, no identified author, but David is the author. They're attributed to him, all the rest of them. In book 2, it's a bit different. Uh, it's only, we find something, uh, some other authors identified in the superscription there, right? The uh, that heading before the psalms. Um, that's the introduction at the top of most of the psalms. And in book two, we find that it's only, there are only 18 of the 30 psalms that are identified as written by David. <clears throat> we have other authors. One of the authors identified there is uh, David's son, Solomon. We know well. Another is Asaph. Um, and in seven of those psalms, including our psalm today, our psalms, 42 and 43, uh, the author is identified as the sons of Korah. The sons of Korah. Well, who are the sons of Korah? Uh, the sons of Korah, of course, were the sons of Korah, right? They were Levites uh, and musicians. They were musicians for the temple worship, for worship in the temple. Um, and their father, Korah, who is he? You'll recall that in the book of Numbers, <clears throat> early on, right, that he led this rebellion against Moses and the leadership with around, uh, around 250 people. And he rose up this, uh, this little militia because he was tired of the way things were being led, tired of the way things were going in the wilderness. <clears throat> and he led this rebellion. And you remember how the Lord responded to this rebellion. And what did he do? You remember your Old Testament. The Lord responded. He said, everyone get back. <clears throat> and the ground split open. And Korah and his family and that militia, that little army, they all fell into this pit. They were swallowed up by the ground. Except for his sons. His sons were spared. And when we read of this incident in the book of Numbers, it's very clear to point out, we're clearly told 
that Korah's sons in this incident were spared. And they went on to become Levites. They became Levites who were devoted uh, to the music in the temple for the worship of the Lord, Yahweh, their covenant God. And in this we see this beautiful example, this picture of God's grace. Grace, God's grace to the sons of a condemned man, Korah. And the Lord redeemed them and gave them a place of honor in the covenant community going forward in history. And they, the sons of Korah, like all the psalmists, uh, psalmists, all the authors of the psalms, were regular, ordinary people who experienced the stuff of life, real life, with the real ups and downs of life. And we feel this in the psalms as we read them as a whole. We feel this. We identify the... Uh, with the movement and the struggle and the pain and the glory and the praise to God of the Psalms. Because they're human authors. We're like you and we're like me. We know they're familiar with life in a fallen world, a world full of sin within and without, by how they wrote, how and what they wrote about in the Psalms. The Psalms were written by people who've been through lots of life. They are much loved by the people of God uh, historically, they always have been, and for good reason. The book of Psalms <clears throat> is the songbook for the people of God, the songbook for God's people. And in fact, that's what Psalms means. It means praises, songs, or praise songs. And it's fitting because the Psalms, therein we see the broad spectrum of emotion and attitudes of the human heart. As he cries out to God, as he praises, as he thanks God, and he pleads with God. He confesses before him, and he testifies to God's great works and rejoices and rests in our great God. Uh, it was John Calvin who said that the Psalms are, uh, are an anatomy of all the parts of the soul. Right? They touch on the very reflection. They speak of all the things of life, all the things that we go through as humans. The authors of the Psalms, the author of our psalm particularly, knew what it was like to feel down, to feel depressed at times, to feel like being in the wilderness with no water. He knew what it was like to thirst, to thirst and hunger for the Lord, as if the Lord had abandoned, he was nowhere to be found. He knew what it was like to feel this way, to feel cast off, to feel abandoned by his God. And he's equipped by his experiences to write a song through tears, telling of the weeping pain and the, 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 the tumult of his heart. And therefore, he writes this lament. And you can feel his anguish as he wrestles within himself, right? As he's wrestling and struggling in his own soul, right? He says, why are you downcast, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? And then he answers, hope in God. I shall again praise him, my salvation. He felt the fragility in his own heart, his own soul, and he knew the pain that comes from the outside as well. We have all felt down. We've all felt depressed in our lives. And even you who are younger, brothers and sisters, you know something of those feelings of the blues, of uh, melancholy, of depression. We're fallen people in a fallen world, full of other people, other fallen people in this world. And the very real, very damaging sin and evil that is all around us and even within us. The Lord in His goodness and His kindness have less, has left us His word 
in particular portions like the Psalms, like Psalm 42 and 43, is given to us. And it's good for us to read because of our condition, the things that we go through, and meditate and reflect and internalize and to pray back to God these psalms, to pray them back to the Lord, and to do so often. Psalms 42 and 43 are such a blessing for us because of that reality. Right? The reality that it's the title of a book uh, by a man in our presbytery. Christians get depressed too. Right? Christians get depressed too. It's a good title and it's true. It's true of Christians. We do get down. We do get depressed as well. Because life is full of rough, rough patches. All of life is a struggle. It's a battle. We don't become immune from negative things, from hard things, from crushingly awful things when we give our lives to Christ. We are immune from that most negative thing possible, right? Of course, eternal life under the eternal wrath of God without a mediator, right? The punishment in hell forever. Of course, we're free from that. We're immune from that. Praise God. We do have, through this life, course, the joy of the Spirit and the sustaining love of Christ our Savior and the joy and support and love of Christ's body here in this life and all the rest. Our catechism, our short catechism, number 36, speaks to this, some of the blessings that flow from being justified and adopted and sanctified in Christ, right? The assurance of God's love, the peace of conscience, joy in the Holy Spirit, the increase of grace, and the perseverance to the end. These are joyful Glorious, wonderful truths that are true of every one of you who believes in Christ. We do ourselves no favor when we deny reality and pretend like children that bad things will just go away if we just deny that they're there once we become believers in Christ. God calls us to face reality, to be honest, to be faithful, and to trust, and ever more and more and more to look to Him, to trust and believe Him, to love him, to follow his ways and his will. We sometimes get downcast, even though Christ has already merited glory and consummation for us. We will dwell with him forever in glory. It's true. But we're not yet there. We're not yet there. And so that's why our passage this morning is so helpful for us. It's a blessing for us again once again, to see God's kindness as he reaches down to us as his children and tells us, my child, I know how you feel. I know how you feel. How does he know how we feel? Because he took on human flesh and he became like us, his brothers and sisters. He knows what it's like to have a heart full of pain and turmoil and sorrow and anxiety and to feel abandoned by God and to thirst for him. And Jesus knew as well where to find his joy, his peace. When we look at this psalm, these psalms, 42 and 43, we notice that they really are one unit, right? They're, they go together. And we see that it's one song. It's a song of three stanzas. And each of the three stanzas ends with that same refrain. Right? Verses 5, 11, and then the end of Psalm 30, uh, 43 they're all the same, right? The stand, this is how the stanzas break down, 1 to 5, 6 to 11, and then Psalm 43, right? Those are the three verses, or the three stanzas. And they end with that refrain, why are you downcast? Sorry, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me, hoping God? Right? So again, praise Him, my salvation and my God. 
Each one ends with that exact same language. And so let's hear what God says to us through this song that he's given us for these times, <clears throat> the depressing reality that we go through in our lives here in this fallen world. Uh, the theme here of this, this song is really about thirsting, thirsting for the Lord, longing for him. And we see here the, the psalmists, the author's reason for thirsting, the location of his thirsting, right, where, where he's at, and then the object of his longing or thirsting. Right? The, the reason and then the longing and then, I'm sorry, the location and then the object of that thirst. Uh, and so the first question to ask is why is he thirsting? Right? What is his longing about? Why is he, what's the reason, what's the cause for this? <clears throat> And the immediate reason that we see is because of the people around him, right? his enemies. Uh, verse 3 of Psalm 42 says, My tears have been my food day and night. Why, they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? Where is your God? His only drink that he has isn't what he's thirsty for. It's his own tears because of the situation that he's in. And one of the beautiful things about the Psalms, about this, these Psalms, and many passages um, throughout Scripture is their generic nature. They describe a generic situation. And it's a beautiful blessing that this is the case. And why is that? Why are there no details? Right? As God, as the Holy Spirit inspired these to be taken down in this manner. And it's, of course, because uh, it's so that anyone and everyone can read, pray, and apply them through their lives, and pray them back to the Lord, and meditate upon them, and, 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 and uh, be affected by them, right? Be uh, assured, encouraged, and strengthened by them, right? Apply them to our lives. And the enemies for us are what? They can be the world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Those that, that dark triad, if you will, <laughs> spiritual enemies. Perhaps you're discriminated against at your workplace, or mocked, or looked down upon to your face or behind your back, or maybe you're visiting family or friends, and you're overwhelmed by a feeling of inadequacy, like a failure, because, well, you're not quite that perfect, and nowhere near as good or together as your friend or family member. And you're crushed inside, and you have sorrow, and you're depressed, or perhaps you just can't shake that sin, that wandering eye, or that flood of images from the world, and your smartphones, and the computer, and all the ads, and all the culture around us. Or when everything in God's creation seems to be organized to press on that last nerve to irritate you. To push you over the edge. To anger. The traffic. The barking dog. Your clumsy hands. Whatever it might be. And the devil is right there to attack you. To accuse you and to attack you that God has abandoned you. As the psalmist says, where is your God? Where is your God? And it's painful, and it can be crushing when we go through and we encounter these things. Verse 10, as with deadly wound in my bones, my adversaries taunt me when they say to me all the day long, where is your God? It's our prayer as individual believers right? we can relate to, and it's our prayer as the body of Christ. Right? This prayer is a prayer for the people of God. Verse 1 of Psalm 43, Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people. 
from the deceitful and unjust man. Deliver me. Vindicate me. Defend my cause. This is against ungodly people. The ungodly. Right? Ungodly. In there is that word hesed that you're all probably familiar with. It means God's covenant faithfulness, his loving kindness, kindness, his covenant loyal love. And that word describes God on and on and again in Scripture. His faithful covenant loving kindness. And it's that word with the negation that we find here describing these people. These adversaries. Right? It's the non-faithful, the non-kind, the non-loving, the non-godly people. And it's there that the people of God cry out to their Lord. Vindicate me. Verse four, uh, Psalm 42.8 By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, his hesed. And at night his song is within me. A prayer to the God of my life. That's the response that comes. Right? Assaulted, the psalmist is, we are by the unhesed, the non-hesed. And the Lord commands his hesed, his steadfast love. And so we have to ask, do we identify with these things? I'm sure that we all do. But the question is, is this covenant Lord, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the God of your life? Is he the God of your life? In your struggles and your sorrow, brothers and sisters, in the depths and in your depression, cry out to him. Cry out to him. If you are Christ's, if he is your only hope, if he is the God of your life, your only hope in life and in death, he hears you and he commands his steadfast love and his song is within you. And it comes. And those times flee to him, dear Christian. Flee to him in that sorrow, from that death, to the God of your life. You thirst for him. You thirst for him. When you do, he hears and he satisfies fully, truly, ultimately. Not as the world does, but only as he can. And so the reason the psalmist is thirsting for God is what his enemies are saying. And he feels abandoned by God, forsaken by God in it all. Psalm 42.9, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? Then 43.2, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you rejected me? Why do I go about mourning because of the oppression of my enemy? He's saying others mock me, others ridicule me, and you have abandoned me. My God, says the sad psalmist. And this thirsting for God comes and it comes and it comes because of that again, that dark triplet of the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so that's the reason for his thirsting. And it flows to the next question of the location of this thirsting. Right? Where is he thirsting? Uh, again, Psalm 42, verse 6 says, my, my soul is cast down within me. But notice how he connects this with this uh, the spiritual feeling, with this spatial location, this literal location. He goes on, Therefore I remember you from the land of Jordan and of Hermon and from Mount Mazar. And so unless you're familiar, really familiar with the geography of, of that area, uh, it's, you can't really grasp the details and the depth of what he's saying here. But if you look at this, you'll see the point is that he's far away from the Lord's presence in Jerusalem. This is a common thing in Scripture. 
Right? The further you are from the Lord, from the, the, the city of God, the city of the Lord, it's distance from the Lord. Right? He's far away from the Lord's presence there in Jerusalem. And he's far away from Jerusalem. And when he is, he remembers the Lord himself. Not merely Jerusalem or the temple, right? He says, I remember you. As he references these places. I remember you, you from these places, these lands, uh, and these details, right? So it's not only that he's spiritually, uh, spatially diff- distant, he's geographically distant, but he's spiritually distant. That's his feeling. And again, this is common that we see in Scripture. And his enemies are what? They are present while he's absent and away from the Lord, distant from the Lord. But what's worse is that he feels that God is absent from him. He feels God has forsaken him. And while he's there at the head of the Jordan River, he sees a waterfall. And the waterfall reminds him that all that he's going through is the power of God over his life. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and all your waves have gone over me. He's thirsting for God himself. He's longing, thirsting for the Lord. But his only only drink is his tears. And the only water that the Lord sends to him is this waterfall, which he sees as destroying. And so what does this mean for us? What does this mean for you, brothers and sisters? This is one of the difficulties of this altar at times, answering that question. Right? What's the proper application of this? Like this is what it means, but how do we fit into this? How do we take this? What's our life's connection to this? Right? Because I'm not, you're not in the promised land. And we know from the Gospel of John, right? Remember chapter 4. Jesus says uh, of worship, now there is no longer this mountain or that mountain, but we worship in God in spirit and in truth. And this is the key. This is the key. We can pray and thirst for God from any location because in this life, while we are in the body, we are absent from the Lord's heavenly presence. We have a citizenship in heaven, but we're still living in exile. Here, sojourners, pilgrims, temporary, strangers in this land, away from our true homeland. Yes, he is not far from any of us. Yes, he is near and close, but there's this, the reality that we are not where our home is. And this helps us to identify with Christ. Right? The Psalms are the prayers and the feelings of Jesus Christ as he's identified with us in his humiliation. We must never lose sight of this when we read the Psalms. When we ask these questions, when we try to analyze what's going on. All of Scripture is about Christ. Scripture is Christocentric, right? Center and Christotelic. He is the end, he is the goal. He left the glory of that triune fellowship in heaven and came far, far down to us on earth, entering into his creation. While on earth, he bore the weight, the full weight of our sins and experienced the wrath of God his entire life, especially on the cross. And Jesus longed. He longed for the glory that he had with the Father. Remember in the Gospel of John, he speaks of this, John 17. The Son of God in human flesh thirsted for God and experienced the forsakenness of God. How much more will we, how much more so will we encounter these things? May we hunger and thirst for the Lord in His presence as we do so. His peace and His nearness. 
as it is there through the Spirit. And so that's the location. But again, what is the object of his thirsting? We touched on it. What's the object? The Spirit is saying to us that we can feel far from God, which is like thirsting, but only tasting tears. Thirsting, but only the only water available to us is the powerful waterfall crashing over us, crushing us. We can thirst, but nothing else satisfies. It is only Christ, only Jesus quenches our spiritual thirst. It is Christ alone and in him that our spiritually parched souls are satisfied and are refreshed. Right? And so that's the next question. The object of our thirst. Right? Look back to how the psalm begins. Psalm verses 1 and 2. This beautiful image right? we see of this. And he says, as the deer pants for flowing streams, for flowing streams, overflowing waters is what it says, so pants my soul for you, O God, like that deer panting for water. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God, the God of my life, uh, verse 8 says, the God of my life. And because he is far away, he asks this, when shall I come and appear before you, before this God of whom I thirst? Right? He's thirsting. He needs to drink. And he realizes the only thing that satisfies is the Lord himself. So we must realize this ourselves, brothers and sisters. Realize, regardless of our individual proclivities, or our imaginations, or our dreams, or how high our aspirations are, none of that fully satisfies the soul. None of, even our good desires, right? Satisfies. Because we can make good things our idols, right? We've talked about this before. The uh, good, God, good, uh, good goods make bad idols, make bad gods, right? We don't have to idolize those things that are good and glorious, but the Lord himself only. So regardless if it's those things, or bad things, right, idols, uh, that we try to quench our thirst with, our thirsting, none of them truly satisfy. They all disappoint. They're all deceptive. They will never do the trick. And you see, often in our sinful blindness, we don't look to the Lord, but we look to things, things apart from Him for our spiritual joy and nourishment and satisfaction. But the psalmist is saying to us something else. He says, in the midst of all kinds, whatever you're going through, for us even, political, cultural volatility and all kinds of struggles inwardly that we go through and around our situations and our relationships. From the world outside and our own hearts inside that condemn us. And we're feeling the hardening effects on our souls of these things. The psalmist is saying to us that our triune God himself is the only, the only object that we must look to for spiritual renewal and revival and restoral as individuals and as the body of Christ, as a congregation. And one of the proofs that he offers is the past. We see this, these trajectories in this, these two psalms, this one song of uh, uh, God in relation to the past and the present and the future. But in Psalm, in verse 4, we see of Psalm 42, uh, this, this, this indication of the past. He says, These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival. Right? This is in Psalm 27. Remember, 
This is my delight that I shall dwell with the Lord forever in the house of the Lord. And so he prays to the Lord for the Lord, right? Psalm 43. Send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to my God, my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre. Oh God, my God. Right? And you see this progression closer and closer. Right? The holy hill to your dwelling, to the altar, in the presence of God Himself with exceeding joy. And isn't this what the Lord promised us in the account, again, of the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4? Right? He asked her what? For a drink of water. And this astonished her, recall. How could this pure Jewish man ask this unclean half-breed for a drink of water? But Jesus tells her that if she knew who he was, she would have asked him for a drink, and he would have given her living water. And she thought he meant running water. But John said this, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I will give will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is the object of this psalm. He's the object of this psalm. Amen? And if you come to him by faith, you have the water of eternal life to satisfy that eternal thirst. So what are our spiritual blues today? What is, your, what is your blues? What are your blues? What is your darkness and your depression? What's your spiritual low? What is ours as a congregation? Because we must see that even when we don't feel satisfied and still feel thirsty due to our tears or to the waterfall of God's providence allowing us to feel far from Him, looking to Jesus by faith is the key to continual renewal of our, so- our souls and the, uh, the sustaining of our souls. He's our provision, our protection, our sustenance. And being revived, it means what? It means simply embracing Christ afresh and again and anew and trusting that the Holy Spirit will once again cause us to experience all the blessings and graces for a new season of life. And this is why we can all, as we close, brothers and sisters, Call out when we're down and depressed and blue in faith. That plea to the Lord, our God, who loves and hears and cares for us. Why are you cast down on my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that you are the God of our life, that you are our hope and our salvation, Lord, our creator and redeemer. We pray that we would indeed come before you without pretense, uh, bear in all the stuff of our lives. And that we will receive from you that which you have for us, renewal, refreshing, peace of Christ. Lord, help us to believe what you tell us here and to embrace it by faith. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.